Welcome to Every Tiny Thing, the podcast to help you survive the newborn intensive care unit. Hi, thanks for being here. This is Trish. I am your host for another hour here at Every Tiny Thing, and I'm really glad you joined me today. I'm excited to be able to share with you a conversation that I had recently with Sue Ludwig. And Sue is the director of the National Association of Neonatal Therapists. And I wanted to talk with her today because I think there's uh, really a lack of understanding in the community at large about what neonatal therapists do and just how important they are in caring for all of the babies in the newborn intensive care unit. So um, we had a chance to talk. It was really lovely to get to meet her through Skype. Um, What you'll get to hear today is our... um, Skype conversation that we had, and we talked about a whole bunch of stuff. She kind of helps explain who neonatal therapists are, uh, what they do, and then importantly, she talks about strategies that parents can learn from neonatal therapists so that they can, you know, use their knowledge to better care for their babies um, when they're in the NICU. So I hope you'll enjoy it. Uh, it. Please be patient. The first couple minutes, uh, the audio is a little bit scratchy, but we worked it all out, so it uh, it clears up shortly. Uh, but I hope you'll enjoy it. It's uh, been a fun conversation for me to have, and uh, I think you'll learn a lot. So here we go. Welcome. Um, I'd like to ask you, could you please introduce yourself to everybody here today? Sure, sure. My name is Sue Ludwig, and I'm the president and founder of an organization called the National Association of Neonatal Therapists. Great. So you are a neonatal therapist. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about what that means and what does a neonatal therapist do? Sure. So I happen to be an occupational therapist, and but in our group, we have occupational therapists, physical therapists, and speech-language pathologists. And then we have all chosen to specialize in caring for babies and families in the neonatal intensive care unit. So that's kind of how we got the name neonatal therapists. So we're a multidisciplinary group, but we focus on uh, treating babies and families in the NICU. And so what we, what we do is we, um, several things, but we, you know, are sort of in charge of development. So while babies in the NICU are spending you know, most people think of them as trying to survive, right? Um, and nurses like you and physicians are are saving those babies' lives. But meanwhile, babies are developing. Their brains are developing, their muscles and their bones and their whole sensory systems are developing. And so we kind of can't forget about that part. We kind of can't wait until later and then go address those things. So what neonatal therapists do is we try to, in real time, work on uh, helping those babies uh, continue to develop like they would have in, in the womb, but in this kind of strange new environment of, of the NICU. Okay, awesome. So what types of problems do you typically see that arise because of prematurity? So some of the problems that we see, um, some of them have to do actually with prematurity itself, and then some of them have to do with the environment that the babies end up in, in the NICU. And so, uh, you know, some of the problems that we all see with uh, babies who are born prematurely is they might have, um, well, in the NICU, they might have more trouble adapting to the environment. They um, are not like, for example, 
their muscle tone. And, you know, if you picture a full term baby, who's kind of all curled up in a little ball, <laughs> um, you know, a preterm infant, their, their muscle tone development isn't that mature yet. So they're kind of more extended and really feel the effects of gravity. So in the womb, there's no gravity, they're floating around in fluid. But once they come out into the, to the NICU, um, they're in this world of gravity and their body isn't ready to deal with it yet. So one of the things that they experience is they can kind of develop uh, some asymmetry or imbalance in how their posture and their muscle tone develops just from being in this, in this gravity-filled environment uh, that they're really not prepared for yet. So we may see some uh, issues with just posture and alignment and how their muscle tone is developing as a result of being in, a, in this environment, but at a place in development that they kind of weren't ready to deal with it yet. And so we kind of see that same thing in every one of their systems. So when neonatal therapists assess uh, their neurodevelopment, so kind of how their brain is developing and how does that really show up, you know? So it might show up in that, that posture and muscle tone development. It might show up in the fact that it's very difficult for them to take in all the noise and the light and the sound and make sense of it and respond and, and not be stressed by it. So they're, they're very stressed by the environment itself because they're just not ready to deal with it. And so we're trying to bridge that gap between what they're able to deal with and what in the environment that they're put into. And so that we can try to prevent a lot of the problems that we might see later, meaning sensory, sensory integration problems, sensory processing problems, uh, postural alignment, just developmental delays and things like that. So, so it's a very preventative model of, you know, how we're looking at the baby. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that, um, you're you're very active your role if i understand it correctly is just while the baby is in the NICU but you are really working to prevent problems for that child after they've left the NICU in many cases yes so i think we are working there are things that we are trying to solve while the baby is actually in the NICU but our vision is really of the future so the vision is thinking how does how does the baby's development look right now today and how do we how can we help facilitate things in the moment that will really support their development, you know, when they're one and three and five and seven years old. Right. So you listed three different types of therapists that sort of fall under the umbrella of the organization you run. Can you help explain a little bit about the differences between those three different uh, professions? Sure. So uh, it's it's a little trickier when we're talking about uh, premature babies, but I'll I'll give you some examples. So Occupational therapists and physical therapists and speech language pathologists have a history of kind of working together in a rehabilitative sense. Like, so if you were an adult patient and and had a stroke, the occupational therapist might work on uh, helping you maximize your independence with things like getting yourself dressed and bathing and doing your everyday life skills both like cognitively how you think about it, but also how you actually do it. And we would try to help you become independent in all those things that you need to take care of yourself for your everyday skills. A physical therapist in that same scenario would help you with your mobility. So it would help the stroke patient, you know, work on balance and strength and walking and things like that. And a speech language pathologist in that situation might work on uh, swallowing safety and cognition and a uh, speech, you know. So when you kind of that's just a very general example, by the way. 
Um, but when you take that down to a premature infant, people are like, what the heck are you doing in there? You know, they don't, they don't walk yet. They don't talk yet. You know, they're not, what do they have to, they're not, they don't need a job. So what does an occupational therapist do? And so um, it is really confusing. So how I would drill that down, uh, especially if there's, if there are parents listening is that, so the occupational therapist is going to be concerned with the baby's, you know, everyday living skills, which in the NICU are really to grow, develop, learn to eat, bond with their parents, right, and attach. And so we're going to still look at that kind of everyday life skill, but what does that mean for a premature infant? And so everything that we would be thinking about would be through those channels. Then a physical therapist, so if you think back to the mobility part of the stroke example, a physical therapist uh, in the NICU might look more at the infant's posture and tone and movement patterns and how those things are going to affect later development of things like crawling and walking and, and you know, mobility issues and, and posture. So it goes way deeper than that for both, but that's just the simple examples. And then for speech language pathology in the NICU, um, they would be looking at a couple things. One is the um, feeding and swallowing, uh, which all disciplines can do, but speech pathologists, there are uh, advanced uh, areas of feeding and swallowing that are, are pertain to them especially. And they would also um, be looking at communication because even though that might seem strange in the NICU, uh, these babies do communicate. And so we all have to understand what that language is like for them. They communicate by how they move and how they, how they respond or how they don't respond to things. And so I think the uh, communication starts early. And we know that babies are actually learning language even in the womb. So uh, these early skills might have something more to do with, you know, are we adapting the, the background of the environment so that the infant can actually hear meaningful language in the NICU? And if we're not, if it's too loud, they are not picking up meaningful language and not developing those early skills. So we kind of take what, what our roles are in a very typical environment as each discipline. And if you break them all down to where do these skills begin, that's what we're trying to do in the NICU. Does that make sense? Yeah, that helps. That helps identify it. My guess is, um, and maybe you can help shed some light on this, but um, every hospital that has a NICU mm -hmm. does not necessarily have any neonatal therapist, or if they do, they may only have one or two of those. It's not as if every baby is going to have all three in, in you know, caring for them. Is that right? It, that's probably true right now. <laughs> um, that's not the goal for the future, of course. But, but um, yeah, so I think it varies by region and, and availability of people who have specialized training in, in this area. And, and, and kind of historically, you know, which, which therapy kind of started first in that NICU kind of organically grows from there. But then there are NICUs, so there it kind of ranges from really every level three NICU should have a therapy presence for sure. Um, but if but who that is might depend on history and availability, et cetera, with the goal really being of having a multidisciplinary presence. And so just to give people listening in the in the country some perspective, so while while there may be some NICUs that don't have a therapy presence or they're working on it, 
there are other NICUs that have an entire team of neonatal therapists up to, you know, seven, 10, 15 therapists, depending on the size of the, of the NICU. So, so there's a huge range and, um, I want people who have none to realize there are big teams of them in some places and for the others to realize, you know, the other end of the spectrum. So it's certainly an emerging, uh, you know, there have been therapists in the NICU as long as there have been NICUs, but there really had, and really until developing NAMP, there, there really wasn't a way to organize us or, or help us have a single voice. And so it was harder to kind of make traction, I think. That makes sense. So can you walk us through what would be a typical day for you when you, um, do you spend all of your time in the NICU? Uh, yes. So when I, I personally, I do not anymore because I'm running uh, my organization uh, full time. Right. I still work in, in a NICU, uh, PRN, but I can certainly take you through what uh, my many years of what a typical day is like. So yeah, let's do that. Uh, so in, when I was working full time in the NICU and in the therapists that are still there, um, yes, they, they typically, the model that really works the best is in the therapist really spends, um, they're really part of the NICU, meaning like my office is in the NICU, the, I stayed there all the time. Those were the only patients I treated um, because I think that's how you develop a true specialty, right? Um, and there's also, you know, kind of a cultural thing, I think, in, in NICUs where if you have to like page the therapist to find them, it's just not going to happen very often. So it, it really helps if you're just there, right? To develop that trust yes. with the nurses and physicians and everything. And so a typical day would, would really, for most therapists, involves, you know, a caseload of patients who you would, you know, we would go into the NICU or down into the unit and you would, you know, really work hand in hand with the nurses and so sometimes we might be doing a feeding assessment uh, once a baby is eating by mouth. So we might be assessing their readiness to do that. We might be assessing how they suck and swallow and how, they, how safe they are with feeding and all this feeding-related things. We might um, see other patients that are much tinier and, and smaller and more fragile. And in that case, for example, I would go to the nurse and say, hey, you know, I would love to see baby Smith with you at whenever you're going to do your care. Okay. So the nurses would get, in, as you know, get into the bed at a certain time. Right. And so I would be there with them. And while they are doing their nursing care, so say maybe they're changing the diaper, they're taking temperature, they're suctioning the baby, they're doing all the regular nursing care things. My job as a therapist would be, how do I, you know, we know for sure that that just basic care for these babies is stressful, right? Right. Especially, Especially the tinier and, and sicker or, or, or more fragile, fragile they, are. they are. And so as, so a, as therapist, a therapist, I'm going to use, use my, hands my hands and use what, what I, know I know about how these babies, babies are, are currently, currently wired. wired, you know, whether they're a 24 week or 26, 28. And I'm going to support the rest of their body systems while they're getting their care. So, you know, for example, if they're getting their diaper changed, I might, I might kind of kind have, their, have their their hands, hands close, close to their, to their, chest, their chest and close, close to their midline, which is which is soothing for them. them. They, they might be getting. getting a, I might be able, be able to give them a pacifier while they're doing that. that. Have my, my hand, hand on their head that is, is in a comforting sort of touch, touch human touch, touch for them. And what what those things do? They sound and look really simple in person, but what I'm doing is really helping the infant use their own abilities to calm their own nervous system down but they really can't do it on their own. 
And so I'm facilitating the ways that I know help them tolerate things, help them feel safe, and help them develop, you know, strategies over time and repetition to soothe themselves. And so I'm going to be that person who is, you know, bringing them into a more flexed position, who is providing that kind of secure touch during these stressful things so that they tolerate the care better, first of all. Um, and they're also, um, we're preventing a lot of kind of noxious experiences for the baby so that, you know, touch doesn't always mean that something bad is going to happen and that care doesn't have to be uh, a super stressful thing every three hours, right. you know? So when that happens every three hours for days and weeks and months, sometimes without that support, that's a different kind of brain and sensory system that that baby's going to develop than a baby who has this constant kind of support during what would be pretty stressful, um, you know, encounters. And so the work, the nurses and the therapists work in totally in tandem when, when it's done well. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm not only not in the nurse's way, but I'm really helping her and she's helping me and we're both helping the baby. And then the goal would really be for me in that moment, it'd be fantastic if the parents were there because mm -hmm. the ultimate goal for me is to really teach the parent how to be the person I'm being in that moment, because that way they kind of learn to read their own infant's cues about when they're stressed and what comforts them. And they become that support for their infant in, in that moment. And then they know how to do it and carry it over into every moment. So we're teaching them that early on in real time. Um, and then obviously they feel more like I'm, I'm actually parenting here, you know, I'm not just being an observer of the situation. So that brings up a great point, though, that that I was thinking as you were describing what you do um, when you are working together with the nurse on that one set of cares of the day is, of course, you know, that's that's one set of cares of the day yeah. and the baby's yeah. going to have eight to 10 to 12, you know, hands on times during the day and you you won't be there for all of them. So I would imagine a huge part of what your job is, is to train not only the parents, but also the nurses about the benefits of what you're doing, because as you said, sometimes it can just look like you're doing something fairly simple. Uh, and without the knowledge behind it, um, it's, it's hard to get people to be convinced how important it is to do it every time. So I would, I would imagine a huge part of what you're doing is education. Absolutely. Yes. So, the, and, and that's really the goal is, is while I can be that person in the moment, you know, ha teaching the parent, like I said, is vital so that they can carry that out whenever they are there. And then also, um, really teaching the staff. And in some of the our you know best kind of second set of hands people in our unit are the respiratory therapists actually because a lot of times they're you know doing the same you know they're in the bed at the same time as the nurse as well and so um, they're trying to cluster that care to you know let the infant sleep between those times right and so they they have really done well in in picking those things up and and really being conscientious of of those things during care. And that nurses have permission to, to help each other, which is not really what happens a lot. Um, you know, in that kind of ICU world, it's like, I, I got it, right? Um, and I think opening the conversation that it's not about a reflection of like, if I can do this by myself, it's like, what does the baby really need? 
And then can we help each other, even if, you know, this is not my patient, can you be this other support person? And then as a therapist, what I'm also doing in those moments that, that is beneficial, even, um, so there's other people we hope to teach for sure. The other thing that we're doing while we're engaged in that is doing this kind of constant assessment of development. And so we would continue to kind of come back, even if everybody else is being the second set of hands, kind of come back and really, even if we're observing it, this happen, or we're the ones having our hands on the baby too, is, you know, is the baby moving symmetrically? Is the baby moving in an age appropriate way at 23, 24, 25, 26 weeks? You know, so really understanding how development changes across that continuum and then assessing whether that seems to be on track and identifying things early that may not be on track so that we can um, really do that in real time and, again, not wait until they're home or in early intervention or much later to start to, you know, address those things. Is there a way that you can kind of easily explain? I think you kind of you touched on it a little bit, but... Um, are there any kind of pointers you have for parents uh-huh. f- for whom this is all really brand new? Um, y- you know, it's hard to, I, I wouldn't want to ask you to give advice because you don't have a specific patient in front of you. And, and unless you are seeing the whole picture, you can't really tell anybody just blanket advice, not necessarily, but there seem to be some certain things that if you keep in mind when you're approaching almost any premature baby, it will help you sort of understand the things that will comfort and, and calm and actually help them with that nervous system development. Is there anything like that that you can think of that you would share with parents just sort of as a general approach? Sure. I think there's a few things that are just really great things to do almost no matter what, you know? So, so I think one of those is, is really advocating for what is called skin to skin holding or kangaroo care. And that's when you're, you have your baby in just a diaper and they're on your bare chest and then you have a little blanket over you or wrap over you. And that alone, so you would be sitting holding your baby like that. And, and I mean, in most situations, and again, depends on situation, but whether they're tiny and on a ventilator or whether they're older, that typically can happen. Um, it's worth asking all the time. Right, always. <laughs> you know, it's not, I wouldn't assume that your baby's too sick or too small. It's worth asking no matter what, um, because babies are more stable there than they are in an incubator. Um, and you're holding your baby and you get to bond and there's so many good, you know, whether it's, there's so many good benefits of, of doing that. There's endless ones. So um, I would say that is one thing mm-hmm. is asking for skin to skin holding or kangaroo care. Uh, the other is if your baby is um, that most preterm infants, you know, they they might not respond the same way to a lot of, you know, kind of moving and handling and things that we would picture for a, an older baby. So like light stroking and things is usually kind of overstimulating to them. So if you're putting your hands in the in the isolate or incubator or, you know, just kind of putting them firmly on them and just kind of hanging out, you know, hand on their head, a little hand on their butt or, you know, with their feet and kind of just providing a nice firm touch and just being there without a lot of, you know, patting or tapping or stroking like you might want to do. Um, that might be pretty stimulating, but just being there with that nice firm touch is great for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, t- you know, feeling 
comfortable like when you when you go up to them talking to them and not feeling like is this weird because you know they're in the hospital or I don't know if they can really understand me or hear me I mean all of that is still great to do so you know coming up to the bed and being like you know hey buddy you know how are you doing today and 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 really you know treating them like your baby in that environment and talking to them they know your voice parents they know your voice they do they we cannot fool them <laughs> Um, as caregivers, so they, they know your voice from the inside out. Yeah. And so it's soothing to them. So talking to them, being there, um, and, and asking, I would say then the other thing is just asking the staff, what can I do? Can I change the diaper? Can I help you change the diaper? Can I take the temperature, my baby's temperature? What can I do to parent my baby right now? Mm-hmm. And, and that changes depending on how it looks might change on how old your baby is and how stable your baby is, but you should always be able to do something. Right. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, kind of pressing like what, no, really, what can I do right now? I want to, I want to parent my baby. What does that look like right now? Nice. Yes. Yeah. That's a great reminder. I, I can't remember off the top of my head where it was, but somebody um, was talking about this recently, probably on a forum that I was part- participating in, but that, you know, they, um, it was over, or maybe it was the author I was just speaking with recently, but it was, you know, um, over a week went by before um, she realized that she would, would have been able to change the diaper. And and when, when she kind of asked the nurses, like, oh, I could do this, said, oh, yeah, you could do this. They, you know, the nurses sort of, each one thought maybe the nurse before had told her she could do it, and I think that's really, you know, I, I, the communication between all the professionals, the therapists and the nurses and the parents, it's, um, it's hard to even put words to how, how strained that is sometimes and how profoundly that affects the parents' experience because they, you know, don't, they're so shell-shocked and, um, and in such a foreign place, they all react differently. So the nurses might see one, ner- you know, parent sitting there quietly and um, think they seem like they're very comfortable and doing okay. And then the next parent walks in and they're super chatty and they ask a million questions. And so they're getting their needs better met because they're communicating more with the nurses. And this other family who, you know, they just, because of a communication issue, um, they're not feeling as bonded. They're not participating as much. And it's really, I think, in the end, ultimately, our responsibility as the professionals, because the parents are in such a crisis, we can't really expect them to be sort of learning how to be the communicators here in this <laughs> yeah. situation. So yeah, that's a great point that you make. Yeah, And I think that, um, you know, I always try to remind caregivers, if I'm speaking or something, that, you know, this environment of the NICU is is, is very normal to us because we've worked in there forever. Right. But man, it is not normal for a, a new parent to come in and, and, you know, they've been, you know, maybe showing picture of their ultrasound. They've maybe they've even had time to start to get a nursery together. They've all this stuff. And then like never in their life did they dream this was going to be their baby's first bedroom. And to remind ourselves that, that is sort of a sacred space that we're in, um, for the parent and, and it's traumatic for them. And, and they, um, are grieving the loss of everything they thought would be 
right? Their picture of how this was going to go and maybe they did every single thing right and then here they are. And how do you make sense of that? Um, so I think it is up to us, like you said, to to take responsibility for initiating that communication and not assuming that someone else has already asked. And, and every time we see a parent sitting by a bed without their baby in their arms, making sure we've asked them, do you want to hold your baby? You know, cause they many times are just waiting for permission. Right. Yeah. And if we don't ask, that doesn't happen. And, and that's pretty sad. Yeah. If they're able, yes. if, if the baby yes. can tolerate mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the hard part, uh, how often they can't. And I think that's one of the things that therapists do um, really, really beautifully is help parents see what they can do when they can't hold. Yes. Because in, in many cases, especially if the baby's not feeding, so they can't feed the baby, then it feels as if one of the only things they can do is hold. And when they can't hold because the baby's too unstable, um, then then they feel really like they've got nothing that they can do to parent. And, and as you were saying, that's one of your things that you love to educate them about is what they can do to parent when they can't hold and feed. Yes. And even, you know, if, if your baby is only being fed by a tube in their nose or their mouth right now, and they're pretty tiny, but they are being fed. One thing I, you know, always encourage that we encourage in the NICU as therapists is even just having that same kind of nice, firm little hold in the incubator, um, you know, giving them human touch while they're being fed by tube even. So we're starting to pattern feeding from a very early age. That feeding is about being involved with another human mm. and not just being left in there with a feeding, right? Right. So even though they're not eating it by mouth um, yet, that if you are pairing that with some human touch from the beginning, again, can we help better prepare that infant system that later on when they're when they're mature enough to eat by breast or bottle this isn't their first experience of feeding being nurturing of feeding being in connection with another person um, because feeding in biologically for an infant is never in isolation you know so so there are things that they can do just by being there and providing that human touch for their baby that is so important for their brain development. So maybe I'll, I'll run this by you, see what you think. Because one of the things I found um, that helps parents, um, I'd like to hear if you think this makes any sense. Um, but sometimes when parents are doing those things like you talked about, wanting to stroke the baby um, in a way that that we now know would probably be overstimulating and maybe not all that comforting to the baby um but it's hard for them because that's their instinct that's like universally what parents want to do they want to reach in and to kind of stroke their baby's head or stroke and so sometimes the the thing that I tell them is like what would the uterus do mm-hmm. right because the uterus wouldn't stroke the baby but it would provide this pressure and you know it so um and it kind of applies in lots of different ways but does that make sense to you? Does that sound like something that's a pretty easy way for a parent to kind of try to think about how they would approach their baby? I think so, especially when they're really immature still, you know, so I think in the younger gestational ages, that makes a lot of sense that, you know, this, in the environment of the uterus and in the womb would have provided, you know, that kind of containment, you know, having like some, that, that nice circumferential touch, you know, so you're, you're, being surrounded by something that holds you like that. 
um, and that you can push and move against things, but you come back and are still tucked in um, and, and things like that. So yes, that, that makes sense. And then I think as they get older, meaning, you know, in NICU world, right? right. So they're meeting 33, 34, 35 weeks and, and up, you know, that, um, yeah, that there might be things like, you know, uh, infant, you know, massage and things that might be appropriate depending on their other issues and, and things, challenges going on. Um, but there are ways that we can evolve that kind of interaction as they mature. Um, and it, again, it just depends on the individual infant at the moment. Yeah. Do you teach infant massage in your job? Uh, yes. Yeah. So um, we have, our therapists have actually taken a neonatal massage course and we um, provide that as something that we use as a therapeutic intervention, but also uh, with the goal of teaching, of course, of teaching the parents is the main goal. I think we've always used it in a therapeutic fashion, but I think that um, we have tried more and more to make it something that is an interaction between the parent and the baby. And again, for the appropriate gestational age baby and, you know, who's safe to do that with and, and et cetera. But, but yes. Um, what would you say is the hardest thing about being a neonatal therapist? <laughs> That's such a good question. Um, <laughs> so many things come to mind. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it depends on where you are in your trajectory of being a neonatal therapist, what the hard things are. Mm-hmm. So I think as a, as a newer neonatal therapist, probably the, the hardest part is um, really gaining the trust and acceptance of the NICU staff. Mm. And that you're kind of, you know, one or two or a few of many. So, you, you know, there's a lot of nurses, right? Right. And um, physicians and every, all the other disciplines. But you have to have such an intimate relationship with the nurses mm-hmm. to be in their space, right? And to be interacting with the things that they're already doing. And you're sort of uh, coming in and maybe assessing and providing some interventions and working right with them. And so if that relationship isn't working, that's really tough. Mm, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's, you know, the responsibility of the therapist. And then it's also hopefully the responsibility of everybody that we all work with, right? That we right. are open enough to the people that can be helpful. But, it's, but I think as a therapist, it's our responsibility to know, to know what the heck we're supposed to do in there. Right? Right. And, and that's, so the nurses are, are going to be very sensitive to... Uh, of course, as kind of the gatekeeper, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to let you get in, in that space when you don't know what you're doing. So I think it's uh, up to the therapist to know what they're doing or to find out what they should be doing if they don't know. And then they can work on the part, um, on the relationship part. Yeah. So I think for a newer therapist, that's one of the hardest things. And and I think also as a newer therapist, it's it takes a while to really gain that specialized knowledge, you have to see a whole lot of 25 weekers right. to know when their development looks like it should for a 25 weaker and when it doesn't right. yes. versus a 26, 27, 28. It's almost like if the same as the months, you know, later on, you know, a right. three month old and a six month old look very different. But in the NICU, it's down to the week. It's drilled down to the week. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And they do look very so, different one week to the next. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that takes a long time to develop mm-hmm. those specialized uh, observation skills and assessment skills. What about for a therapist who's been around for a while? What, what would you say is the hardest stuff you have to deal with? Uh, I think for a really seasoned therapist, the challenges become more about 
leading leading change in the NICU mm. um, because I think we usually end up on a lot of committees. We usually we we like to you know change things for the better. So I think we do end up sort of being on you know involved in a lot of things. And so I think the challenge becomes how do you how do you divide your time and how, are you even allowed to divide your time between <laughs> kind of those sort of leadership initiatives and actually seeing all of your patients. And, mm. and that, that, you know, we kind of have to have are held to a lot of productivity standards and things like that. So it's, it becomes about how do I keep leading change effectively in this environment and also not sacrifice patient care. Um, so some of that just means more staff more neonatal service and advocating for it. Yeah. And, and different levels of how they can advance and, and work on leadership initiatives um, and do research. Right. So as part of that, um, what can a hospital do? What would you um, say to parents in particular, um, but also the nurses and respiratory therapists working in hospitals where they don't have a therapist, a neonatal therapist there to provide the kind of, education and hands-on um, assessment that you do and, and everything that you provide, what, what do they do? <laughs> Good question. So, so for the parents, let me come back to the parents, but for the, for the other staff members, I mean, it's interesting. We have um, in, in NANT, which is our, the organization I mentioned in the beginning, you know, we have uh, in our membership, we have therapists, obviously by far, but we do have nurse members and respiratory therapy members and physician members and things like that. And not all of them, but some of them are members of NANT because for that exact reason. So they say, you know what, I'm not a therapist, but we don't have one. And I would rather know some of what you're, what you know, and be able to bring some of that, uh, not maybe assessment knowledge, but at least some of the, uh, perspectives and some of the things that we're working on to our babies in our unit. Um, so they, they might not, um, you know, start doing neurobehavioral assessments and things, but they might, but they might say, wow, I, I now know how to read some of these, uh, what the baby's telling me better because I watched, you know, this, this webinar, this training session, this, whatever, I, I get this better. I understand the development better than I did. And I think that can only help all of us, um, understand you know, help the babies in our own care, the more we know about what each of us know. So I think, and, and actually we even have an, a mentoring program that's a whole year long that's online for, for new neonatal therapists. And we actually had a couple of nurses, we weren't really going to have nurses in that, but a couple of them begged us for that, begged might be a strong word, but they kind of kept kept asking us, but are you sure? Can I please be in this for that exact reason? We don't have a therapist and I know I'm not going to become one overnight or I, I can't become one anyway, but man, I could certainly gain a lot of knowledge about development from being involved in something like this. That's awesome. Okay. That's a great recommendation. And, and then for parents, um, you know, I think, you know, well, for everyone, the staff and the parents, I think raising the awareness to the hospital that, that, that is something that's missing perhaps in that environment uh, is crucial, you know, because, uh, that raising the level of awareness about what neonatal therapists can bring to the table is huge. And if there's not one there to advocate, right, 
for what they do and, and to show um, in real time what they do, what they bring, um, then it might be up to those other people to say, hey, what about this? Um, but I think for parents too, there are a lot of great parent organizations that, that really do support parents that help them understand the different disciplines that might be involved in their baby's care, uh, not just therapy related, but other disciplines as well. And I would say I would also start you know, with some of those and, and really understand what could be available for your baby on all kinds of planes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure. Is there anything that you're aware of, um, where that you, like you talked about the nurses who, um, take your courses, um, mm -hmm. because they recognize they want to learn this. Is there anything like that, but for parents, like, a you know, half hour that you know of anything that they can sort of where they can learn, okay, I don't have a therapist here with my baby and, and maybe I'll talk to the charge nurse or the director and tell them they should get one, but that won't happen while my baby's here. What can I do with my baby and how do I learn that? Um, you know, is there any kind of education like that that you're aware of? Or if not, will you be putting that together sometime soon? <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you mention it, no. So I'd have to think about if there is, there probably is some education out there for uh -huh. that that is like that. And I'll probably have to think about it and, and make sure I don't misspeak about where it exists. So sure. uh -huh. let me come back to you on that. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. I think that is something that at, in Nant that we've talked about as, you know, an eventual vision mm. is that in, as we build our own repertoire of education for therapists in, in the world, because we have therapists from all over the world that are trying to, you know, access that as well. Um, what can we do for parents in that, in teaching them about development and um, so that they can at least uh, online, whether they have therapists or not, that they can, uh, access that information and have it for no cost and things like that. So um, that's certainly in the future vision cool. for us. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what is the, uh, you know, not so much like we talked about the future of hopefully getting more therapists present in more of the NICUs, but is there anything like equipment wise or therapy wise um, that you're aware of that sort of, as we look to the future, like how you see the therapy for, especially for preemies, but for NICU babies in general, like are there, or, and, and, and what have been some of the developments that you've seen over your career? As far as equipment and things? Equipment and, and, um, you know, research understanding about that's shaped, you know, how you approach your job, change the way that you provide care and, and where do you see that going as we move forward? I think one of the things that, that shaped my um, education and, and how I really saw everything in the beginning was um, Heidi Al's synactive theory of development, which is something that if parents are listening, is going to sound like just a whole bunch of words, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure to put a little note there with it so they can read it. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's a, way, it's, a, it's a way of really understanding and uh, a model of care of really helping you understand how the baby communicates with you and with their environment. And so that, that's something that was, has been long part of my um, learning and, and understanding in the NICU. But is, I've seen a lot of changes. And I think that both from, I think from a therapy standpoint, the biggest change I've seen is that I think in the in decades past that therapists were kind of in more of a what I would call rehab model where they were kind of called 
and said, hey, we have a baby down here in the NICU that has a problem. Can you come and see them? Which is how therapists exist a lot in the rest of the hospital, right? They get referred by, there's, because there's a problem. And so I would say that's more of a rehab model. You would come in and you would kind of address a specific thing and, you might, and then you might leave. And so now I think that has really transitioned to being a preventative model, a more habilitative model where we're there from the beginning and we're not waiting until somebody calls us. We're saying we're involved day of life one, at least with the most at-risk infants. And so we can prevent and we can help them and facilitate things instead of going back and addressing problems. There will still be problems, but we're hopefully already aware of them <laughs> for the most part. And so that's one big switch. And then I think equipment-wise, we've just seen, and education, so it's not just equipment, but we've seen a lot of changes from kind of providing very little, if you use the umbrella of developmental care, um, very little developmental care where it was entirely focused on survival to this in slow, not fast enough, but slow integration of practices and products and education related specifically to the development of the baby. And that has been long coming, but it's, I feel like it's definitely uh, reached a threshold where it's, it's the standard of care. And so that, that comes with some products and some things that help position babies that help, you know, work, um, you know, help facilitate development, but, but it's uh, really how we think about how we do everything. Um, it's been a really neat transition to see over time. That's, that's encouraging. Um, what is, what are some of the rewards of doing this job? Oh, they're awesome. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, the, the biggest reward to me is a couple things. One is, you know, we just had a, a NICU reunion at, at the hospital where I, I work and, you know, that's, an incredible reward to see those patients and families coming back. And now these babies are in kindergarten or they're 13 or they're 18 or whatever. And, and to see them grow up and how well they're doing and how they have managed and, and just that they're, you know, just a family and they're just loving each other. And they're in this, you know, it's just amazing to see this little peanut, you know, that you help take care of for so long. And then to see them, six months, five years, 10 years, and plus later is just all the reward you ever need, I think. Um, just amazing to me to see, you know, babies you thought might not even ever walk running around and babies that you've, you know, had really struggled with eating, you know, mowing down some cake at the table, you know, at the reunion. I mean, just, it just, uh, and not that everything's perfect, right? Um, we know that everything doesn't turn out quote perfect, but it's, it's an amazing reward. And, and I think for therapists, our intrinsic reward is always helping to, to bring about function for people and whatever that looks like. So for the NICU, I think it's, you know, having been able to have a hand, just a hand in, the, in how that baby's brain and system and everything develops and how they've bonded with their family is just very intrinsically rewarding. It's why we get up in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of why we do what we do, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I know you just recently had a, a conference. 
uh, Nant had a conference um, just a week or two ago. Is that right? Oh, actually, our our main conference we we did have an international neonatal therapy week a week. Or okay. Two. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It wasn't a conference, yes. but it was the whole week where we were celebrating. Yes, you. we were celebrating all over the world uh, neonatal therapists. So that was recent, and then we do have an annual conference that is uh, typically in April. So we will be in Orlando um, this April, and so that's a really internationally attended event. So we have therapists from all over the world who show up and um, typically been selling out. So we've been growing really steadily and uh, it's, it's just my favorite thing to see them all finally together in a place where we all understand what, what we do for a living is, is a real relief for us. And uh, it's really been really cool to see therapists you know, really in, involved in research and in program development and really in a lot of collaboration with the nurses and physicians. And it's a really amazing event. Nice. So if you're a therapist who does work in the neonatal unit, you should be checking out Nant and thinking about going to a conference in April. Absolutely. Who doesn't want to go to Orlando, Florida in April anyway? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, I have about a million more questions I could ask you, but we are coming up on an hour, which I know is about the amount, the, the amount of time that we were hoping to talk today. So is there anything else that you can think of, in particular for parents who are facing uh, a new NICU admission uh, with the preemie? Um, you know, any last words of advice that you'd give to them? Uh, I would say give yourself some space. You know, this is a big, this is a, a big deal and there's no one way to do it right. You know, there's no book that says this is how you have to be a, a parent of a preemie. And so the most important thing is that you find a way to connect with that little person who might not look like the baby you envisioned um, and that they need you and that they will benefit tenfold by your involvement in their everyday care as much as you can be involved. Um, and, but to find some other people as well that you can talk to about your NICU experience because who have been through it, because uh, it's, it's really hard for people outside of there to relate to what you're going through. But that you have a really special little human in there. And uh, it's a, a very unique place to find your family. And I think you will. That's great. Well, Sue, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. I, I learned a lot and uh, it's got me, given me some ideas of what I'll be bringing to the table the next time I'm at work. And, uh, and it'll be fun to help other families understand and other therapists understand just what you do, the importance of it. And, um, how all the families and the babies, but not just the not just the babies, the families, the entire family benefit from having therapists there caring for their babies when they're in the NICU. Well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, good. All right. Well, you have a wonderful day and good luck with your conference in April. All right. Thank you very much. And I'll look forward to learning more from you as I follow you, which I do on Twitter and on <laughs> my, the newsletters that come weekly. I love it. So thanks so much for all that you do. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for listening. <laughs>